The PWC Network. What the world is watching and listening to. one it is the scholarly one but most importantly it is the glorious one the professor chabava cruz and you know what i got my feet wet on the last episode of the professor's perspective here on the pro wrestling coalition network at pobbeam.com and you know what like i kept saying to all my hustleites like i was like I'm going to keep saying to all my PWCites out there, you know, it's like riding a bike. You're going to fall off a little bit, but you know what? I don't need training wheels, Hustleites. I know what I got to do, and I know what I bring to the table. So welcome to episode two of The Professor's Perspective here on the PWSL Networks at Podbean.com. Here at the PWC Networks at Podbean.com. I be that man, and this be that perspective. And you know what? The goal of the professor's perspective is to make people think. The goal of the professor's perspective is to know that certain opinions out there from AEW shields, from WWE shields, from New Japan shields, they need to be stopped. They need to be eradicated because you need to only hear the opinions of the only objective man in the IWC, YWC, the only objective man in this podcast punditry, punditry. The only objective man on these power beam streams, and that be moi, the Professor Chabava Cruz. And welcome to episode two. And you know what? I wasn't going to do an episode two this coming week, but you know what? Wrestling makes it easy for me to do these professors' perspectives. And wrestling makes it easy for me to like always go on Twitter, go always go on social media, always go on these Facebook fan pages and really see the pulse of the IWC YWC to see where their heads at, to see their motivations, to see their agendas. And once again, for episode 2 of the professor's perspective, I will be doing a sequel to the WWE releases. But I'm going to do it with a twist because I'm not going to talk about the whole list of people. I'm going to focus on four people in particular. And while a lot of people on social media say it is the most confusing release in all these releases, and mind you, in 2020 Wonder, there's been 80 releases for the WWE in this calendar year. But again, 
in episode one, I did explain the corporate structure of WWE and why they are releasing these wrestlers, why they are releasing corporate staff. So I don't need to repeat myself again. If you need to hear it, go check out episode one here at the PwC Networks. Go check out episode one on the PwC Networks at podbean.com. It's there for your enjoyment. It's there for your ear holes to be entertained. So for episode two, I'm going to focus on these four individuals because while it is the most confusing release, as people have said on social media, it is a combination. It is a combination of being the most confusing release, but on the flip side, it is the most no-brainer release in all these releases for 2020 Wonder. And that is Hit Row, Hit Row. Yes, Hit Row is the most confusing yet no-brainer release in 2021 for WWE. Yes, Isaiah Swerve Scott. Yes, uh, what's his name? Asante Adonis. Yes, Top Dollar. And yes, B-Fab. These four individuals were let go in the span of two weeks' time. And for the professor, I can join you, I can join the flock and say, this is the most confusing release because of one thing. They were hot-shotted to SmackDown. Michael Cole even said it himself during the WWE draft that this was the steal of the night. When these four individuals were drafted to WWE SmackDown. And you know what? There was potential there for Hit Row to make some waves. There was, you can look at the potential uh, storylines. You can look at potential feuds. You can see before all this stuff that Swerve Scott was going to be the man, the leader. You got the, the muscle and top dollar. You got an aerialist who can take the bumps and Adonis. And, of course, you got the flavor, the female flavor of the bunch with B-Fab. So, in essence, the formula, the package was all there ready to go for prime time. But there were so many, you know, holes in hit row. There were so many hiccups. There were so many bumps in the road that this hot shot to SmackDown was doomed to fail. It was doomed to fail from the start for so many particular reasons. And I'm going to go into that. First and foremost, let's start with the lady of the bunch, B-Fab. Now, she looks good. Her voice was on the hit row uh, entrance theme. And again, she was eye candy. She was there for Fox, you know, the Fox audience. She was there for the supposed 1834-year-old male demographic. So it was all there, ready to go. But there was one outline problem with BFAB. And she's a victim of the times. If this was 2002, 2003... In the year of the ruthless aggression, in the year, you know, a little bit after the attitude error, with the bra and panties, with the showcasing of the body more, and it wasn't about, you know, it wasn't about the wrestling ability, it was more about the sexuality and the sensuality, BFAB would have been perfect. 
B-Fab would have been untouchable. She has the voice. She can lay down a promo. But she couldn't wrestle for squat in that ring. In NXT, she had maybe two matches the most. And two matches that lasted probably, and I'm not kidding, three minutes. Three minutes. Two matches in three minutes total time. That's bad. That's bad, Hustleites. That's very, very bad. And she was, and that's it. She's doomed to fail. She needed to be seasoned more. She needed to be at the performance center more. She needed her wrestling. She needed to hone the craft of her wrestling skills. And they didn't allow her to do that. Yes, she could have been on house shows and, you know, wrestled on dark matches. But goddamn, I. Vince McMahon, Bruce Pritchard, I don't know if they were under the gun. I don't know if their Alzheimer's kicked in. But they hot-shotted, because of hot-shotting Hit Row, B-Fab was a victim of this unfortunate circumstance. But yet, it made all the sense in the world to drop her ass. Nobody missed her, and especially the IWC, YWC, they don't miss her because they're they were saying this while she was employed with the WWE that she couldn't wrestle a lick. So if I'm saying this right now after the fact, go back on the social medias. The receipts are there. So if any mother trucker are saying, you know, why did they let B-Fab go? WWE is making a mistake. Check your receipts, Hustleites. Check your receipts, PWCites. It is there. So before, you know, practice what you preach. Do not be a hypocrite. If you said she couldn't wrestle, then own up to it and keep sticking to your guns. Because the professor did. And I will say this. I'm not shilling for WWE. I understand full well that B-Fab wasn't ready for the big for the prime time. She needed to stay at the performance center or she needed to be on dark matches. And it, it just didn't work out. But B-Fab is going to be okay. Don't worry about her. Like I said, she's got the gift of gab. She can cut a promo. And I'm sure AEW Dark Elevation, I actually can see her being the female implementation to the acclaimed. You got Max Caster, Anthony Bowens, and whatever her name is. I'm just going to say be fat for, you know, all intents and purposes right now. Imagine that triple threat right there. AEW Dark Elevation be more interesting. I probably would turn it on more to see those three cutting, you know, ether promos when they get into the ring. So that's a good suggestion from the professor. What do you think? Leave those comments for for Jimmy T and Chris Hambones on the PWC uh, networks. Leave those comments to them. And then get and they will get back to the professor because we got that, you know, working relationship like that. But now let's continue on the hit road train and why it was doomed to fail. And I got to start with the first man on this, you know, on this hit row hit list, you could say. And that is Isaiah. He was doomed to fail no matter what. And the problem with Isaiah Swerve Scott is this. Isaiah Swerve Scott. If you really, and I'm really, I'm trying to be honest here. And again, people could say Vince McMahon's out of touch. He had money. He, he let money off the table. 
I wasn't impressed with Isaiah Swerve Scott when he started in the WWE in April of 2019. Now, I follow Isaiah Swerve Scott, a.k.a. Shane Strickland, a little bit. I heard about him in PWG. I heard about him, you know, in the West Coast, in the Seattle area. But mostly where I saw Isaiah Swerve Scott, a.k.a. Shane Strickland, when he caught the professor's eyes, was in Lucha Underground. Under the character called Killshot. Now, if people did not watch Lucha Underground and people did not watch the character that, you know, Shane Strickland, a.k.a. Swerve Scott, created, Killshot, this was a great character for Lucha Underground. This was the great character for the temple. Long story short, Killshot was a man who felt betrayed by his partner, A.R. Fox, out in the Middle East, you know, like Desert Storm, you know, he felt betrayed by him. He felt like he was abandoned by him. And he came back to Lucha Underground to gain revenge against A.R. Fox. To get, you know, to get everything back. To get his payoff against A.R. Fox. And they had some great matches in the temple. But during, you know, his Lucha Underground, you know, days, Killshot, a.k.a. Swerve Scott, barely said anything. He let his, he did his talking in the ring. He did his movesets in the ring. That's where he was impressive. That's where Matt Stryker could sell Isaiah Swerve Scott, a.k.a. Shane Strickland, a.k.a. Killshot. So you, when you see all that untapped potential of his abilities in the ring, you can say, well, you know, he needs a bigger platform. He needs to go to Impact Wrestling. He needs to go to ROH. He needs to go to New Japan. Or he needs to go to WWE. So during Triple H's reign of terror of NXT, he figured it was a no-brainer to sign, you know, Shane Strickland and change his name to Isaiah Swerve Scott in April of 2019. And he debuted for the NXT brand in July of 2019. But you know what? If you really look at the pedigree of Isaiah Swerve Scott, from July of 2019 to, let's say, May of 2021, his NXT was sort of blah. You know, he lost a lot of matches. You know, he had those, like, cruiserweight contenders matches. He had those North American title contender type of matches. He lost more than he won. And I was like, you know what? He just doesn't have it. And I was saying this in NXT. He just doesn't impress me. I don't even think he's main roster ready. He really didn't have no character when he was alone. He really had no direction even in NXT when he was alone. He had good matches, but good matches can only take you so far when there are a dime a dozen with people that look like him, wrestle like him, and do the same movesets like him. So Isaiah Swerve Scott probably in early 2021 started to change his attitude, try to add a little swag to himself. And the only thing I remember before, you know, when he, you know, when he debuted the hit row cap, you know, coalition, you could say, in June, uh, in May of 2021, I'm sorry, he had a program with Leon Ruff. That's the biggest claim to fame 
of Isaiah Swerve Scott in the NXT brand when he had a war with 180-pound Leon Ruff. No disrespect to him, but look at the voice that I'm saying. Leon Ruff. Can anybody tell the professor what he did before Leon Ruff to say that his NXT career was actually that good or that memorable? I think not, and I stand by what I'm saying. That's how bad, or that's how, uh, what's the word I can use? That's how insignificant his NXT career was until he had his program with Leon Ruff, and I believe there was a North American title uh, match within that segment of their program. And Leon Ruff beat him to keep that title, if I'm not mistaken. So that's how bad it was. So now they repackage Isaiah Swerve Scott, and now Hit Row is be, has been created. Now he adds a group of people, you know, Top Dollar, Adonis, and B-Fab, and all the vignettes are, are, are Swerve Scott in the studio making, you know, making tracks and all that stuff. So now he's actually got a character. So... Hit Road debuts in around May of 2021, a little bit either late May or early June of 2021. I'm not too sure about that, but let's go with that time period. Now, again, from what I remember of Hit Row, the debut of Hit Row on NXT television was an eight minute snooze fest. They debuted by cutting a promo, rapping. Nothing wrong with the rapping, but you did it for eight to ten minutes, Hustleites. You know, when I saw that, I changed the channel. And this was way this was before NXT 2.0. So they were they were on the dying days of Triple H's regime and vision of NXT. They just weren't clicking with the professor and I'm sure they weren't clicking with a lot of people that's just the truth hustleites they just don't click with a lot of people they didn't resonate with a lot of people even rapping if they didn't resonate but you know what for Isaiah Swerve Scott the only claim to fame during the hit row run is that he won the North American Championship in June of 2021 but there was a problem when he became the North American champion. And again, a lot of the astute IWC, YWC members caught wind of it. From the time he won the title to the time he dropped the title in October of 2021, he had one, maybe two title defenses in that time period. He didn't do nothing. He was a man who held the belt and really didn't do nothing to carry that legacy of the North American Championship, to carry a storyline. And he was fighting Santos Escobar. He was fighting, you know, Legata Fantasma. That was supposed to be the, you know, stable for, versus stable. It was a what could have been kind of moment on NXT that just kind of fell flat. He drops the title to Carmelo Hayes. But before he drops the title, the WWE draft happens a week before October 2021. 
And then when you see the WWE draft, Michael Cole says the steal of the draft was when Hit Row was drafted to SmackDown. So I haven't even talked about Top Dollar yet. I haven't talked about Adonis. And Adonis is not even worth to be talked about because, to me, he's an afterthought. Again, I look at him and I think he's going to be the, the athletic dude that was going to take the most bumps of the group when there was a heel faction. And that was another problem with Hit Row. We did not know where they were going with this. Were they going to be baby faces or were they going to be heels? You just couldn't know, Hustleites. You couldn't know, PWCites. But that was the problem with Hit Row. The identity was hardly even there. So now he drops the title in October 12th, 2021. And then the next week, October 19th, Hit Row debuts on SmackDown. And that's it. Or the vignettes of Hit Row was, was becoming. So that was, the, that was the initial problem. So with that being said, Isaiah Swerve Scott's career was very iffy at best in WWE. The run in NXT was, a, I would give it a C- minus to a D+. Plus. His North American Championship reign, I give it a D+. Plus. And again, his main roster run was an incomplete because we never saw what could have been. That's how bad it was. So again, when, when, a, when this release of Isaiah Swerve Scott himself, and then you had B-Fab, B-Fab couldn't wrestle, that's not a hit. That's not a hit on WWE. But with Isaiah Swerve Scott, he just didn't belong on a WWE stage. He just didn't fit the mold. The way he wrestles is AEW. The way he wrestles is PWG. The way he wrestles is New Japan, Impact Wrestling. He just, his character and his entertainment factor just was not there. And that's the, oh shit. And that's just the truth. I ain't lying on that one. And I'm just speaking the facts here. But anyway, I'm just going to say that's the way I feel about Isaiah Swerve Scott. And now, and since Adonis is an afterthought, I don't have to speak about that. Let me close with Top Dollar. Now, Top Dollar is a tricky one here because I think he was the catalyst to all of Hit Row that was remaining on the main roster to be let go. Top Dollar, to me, is, you know, looks-wise, is the muscle. You could call him the Shook Knight of Hit Row. He has that look. He could have been the leader of Hit Row visually if they wanted to go with the Shook Knight levels. But that would have been a little bit too, that would have been too risky. But anyway, Top Dollar grabbed the brass ring. He went on social media and did his thing. He was, he was ranking on wrestlers who was wearing Nikes on television. And guess who actually, uh, whatchamacallit, answered him on Twitter? And that would be the Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson. They responded in Toad. They responded on their BTEs. They responded on their, their Twitters against Top Dollar. But you know what? Top Dollar, as, a, as brash as he was, 
He wasn't afraid of it. He wasn't afraid of the social media backlash. He wasn't afraid of nothing. And this man gave out a two and a half minute ether diss track against the Young Bucks. And I think because of that, in my humble opinion, I thought Hit Row was well protected. I say, and I'll stand by this, because I said on the PWSO networks on YouTube, I said Top Dollar grabbed that brass ring and protected Hit Row by going after the Young Bucks with that diss track. However, he's not invincible and was stupid for what he did against Jinder Mahal and Shanky. And because of what he said on his diss track against those two, it wasn't what he said about Jinder Mahal and Shanky. But in all actuality, whether you agree with it or not, whether I agree with it or not, it's understandable in the corporate scales. They, he did a diss track against the Middle Eastern culture. He did a diss track that is so not politically correct that WWE has got to protect its investments in the Middle East, has got to protect you know, its image because of what Top Dollar said. And I would stand by this. If Top Dollar didn't do that diss record against Jinder Mahal and Shanky, I really believe, and I could be wrong here, and, you know, professors never, the professor, you know, always will admit when he's wrong. But I truly, truly believe if he never did that district record, they would still be on SmackDown to this day. At least the three of them, not B-Fab, but the three of them would still be doing their program against Jinder Mahal and Shanky as we speak. But because of that, because of that disc record that Top Dollar did, Isaiah Swerve Scott and Adonis were expendable assets and Hit Row became Skid Row. So that's all I got to say about that. And I, like, I, like I say again, and I want you to understand this, Hustleites, it is the most confusing no-brainer release of 2021 when it comes to WWE releases. Think about that again. Tell it to your friends. It is the most confusing no-brainer release of 2021 for WWE releases. Think about it. Process it. Whatever you want to do. And if you don't understand it, you can come on my Twitter at PWSOPROF and I will teach you. Class is never over when it comes to the professor, Chabela Cruz. And in closing, I got one more subject for the professor's perspective. And you know what? I might speak on this on future episodes because this subject is another, is more of a wait and see. But I have some concerns. And of course, the professor is the most objective man in the IWC, YWC. So I have to talk about the new AEW World Heavyweight Champion, Hangman Adam Tage. And I guess I have to say, and I have to ponder the question, is he ready to take it to the next level? And that's where I answer, it's a wait and see. Because the image, the presentation of Hangman Adam Page is so confusing 
to me because I'm not an AEW shill. I look at the presentation of the two words cowboy shit and I look at it in one instance that a man that says cowboy shit should be a loner and should be a man that kicks ass. But for the last year, cowboy shit is just a a catchphrase. It's not a state of mind. Cowboy shit is not how he lives his, his mantra. Because for the last year, this man has been depressed. He's been a drunk. He's been insecure. And he's still growing as we speak. This is not cowboy shit. This is a pro- And people, when they say that AEW told a great story for the last two years of Hangman Adam Page, I actually will d- dispute that. It is not a great story about Hangman Adam Page. It is a progression of following a man's career. That is what I celebrated because I followed Hangman Adam Page from Ring of Honor. When he was riding with B.J. Whitmer, when he was one, when he was being treated like a young boy by B.J. Whitmer, and I believe it was uh, him and Steve Carino, and I think, and I think Roddy Strong, but I'm not too, or Jimmy Jacobs or something like that. It was that other group. I forget the name of it, but he was a young boy, earning his stripes. Then he got lucky to be in the Bullet Club, and then the Hangman character was there. And don't get me started with the, uh, whatchamacallit, the stuff that he did with Joey Ryan, you know, the murder of Joey Ryan, and then that payoff at All all In in Chicago with him against Joey Ryan. That was stupid shit anyway. But I digress on that, T-Volts. I digress. The one thing that has to be said about Hangman Adam Page was it was supposed to be a man growing frustrated, growing feeling disrespected in this group, that he needed to spread his wings and prove himself. There's nothing wrong with that storyline. But again, when people keep saying that they were tell- that AEW and Tony Khan is the book of the year with this great storyline of Adam Page, no, it's been a progression. It's been a progression from Ring of Honor, New Japan, to AEW. Because if this, was a, if this is still a great storyline, then you know what? When Steve Austin won the WWF title at WrestleMania against Shawn Michaels in 1998, you know what Jim Ross said? Austin's eight-year journey is culminated with WWE gold. Uh, Austin wasn't in the WWE for eight years to make that a storyline. Jim Ross just acknowledged that he, his career culminated in gold. And Jim Ross should have said, from school teacher to AEW world champion, that would have proved again the professor's theory that this is a progression, not a storyline. But again, I digress on that. The presentation has been all wrong. Again, insecure drunk. And again, the worst thing about the presentation of Hangman Adam Page is his association with the dork order. Cowboy shit, again, is a loner, a rebel, a kick-ass person. He, t- he beats up everybody. He don't need no help. He don't want no help. 
But if he's going to hang around with Evil Uno, if he's going to hang around with Cocabana and John Silver, that's like Steve Austin, you know, hang riding and dying with the Brooklyn Brawler. That don't make him. That wouldn't have made Steve Austin the character and the legacy. Hangman Adam Page is trying to build on a legacy. And if you keep hanging with the Dork Order, it just sullies him. If you keep hanging with the Dork Order, I can't take you seriously as a main eventer. If you keep hanging with the Dork Order, this title run will mean shit. This will be the weakest AEW champion. The fourth man is the weakest AEW champion. You had Jericho, Moxley, Omega. And Paige right now could be a transitional champion with Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, just waiting in the wings to claim his destiny to become the AEW heavyweight champion. But again, I'm going to take it as a wait and see, Hustlites. As a wait and see. And with that, we close on episode two of the Professor's Perspective here at the Pro Wrestling Coalition and the PWSO Networks. You can find me on the Twitter at PWSO, P-R-O-F, that's PWSO Prof. And of course, shout outs to my man Jimmy Key and Chris Handbones on the Pro Wrestling Coalition, the PWC Networks at Podbean.com. And of course, follow my brothers in arms of the PWSO, Billy Ray Valentine, the man with the documents at Obi-Wan You Know Me, and of course, the king of the reactions, 8-Track Round at 8-Track Daffy. I'm the professor, and this has been the professor's perspective here at PWC. Peace!